I invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, uh, to chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 8, if you're using the, the Blue Pew Bible, I believe it's on uh, page 973, Galatians chapter 4. You know, if you've ever had the experience as a parent of having a wayward child, and I'm not talking about those uh, with young children, certainly they are wayward at times, but I'm talking as, as a child grows older and, and leaves the home and, 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 and may have strayed away from you relationally, but also especially spiritually from you and from the Lord. Uh, and you've had that experience, and, and you've longed for them to return, to embrace Christ, uh, and to come back and to find their hope and their meaning in Him. And maybe you've even, at times, shaken your head and said, how could they uh, find their hope in the things of this world and not in Christ, knowing the great difference between the two, and you've puzzled over it. Now, if you've experienced that, which not all of us here have, then I think perhaps you're well-suited for understanding Paul's heart and his mind as he addresses the Galatians in this passage that we're going through today. Uh, Paul certainly expresses a love for this people, and it's a love that we might expect to find, especially in family relationships. Yet there's also a frustration there, and even an agony of heart and a confusion over them. And what I think we need to recognize, what, what Paul is giving us out of his own longing and love for this people, is he's giving us a picture of God's own heart for his people for his flock. Uh, and so this is a message that's there for us, that there are times when we are doing the same, when we're no longer looking to and depending upon Christ for our sustenance and for our hope, but instead we're falling back to where we were before. Uh, and looking at other things. And so we need to hear the Lord's call, His call upon us to turn back. Now, speaking of, of family, uh, the section that we're looking at this morning is preceded by a wonderful picture of what it's like inwardly to be a part of the family of, of God. It's, it's the passage that we looked at last week, and especially beginning in, in verse Four of chapter 4, uh, we, we get this glorious picture of what we might call, and what we called last week, sonship, being a, a, a son or a daughter of, of God. If you're in Christ, Paul says, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, an heir through God. Now, out of that prior passage, Paul has left us with this, uh, this picture of, of what it looks like. For a believer to be a member of the family of God, it's a glorious place in which to be. He says, you've been adopted into the family. 
Uh, you've been given a great comfort and a great security. And through the Holy Spirit, you have assurance of salvation. And so with that picture in mind, uh, any, anyone that's in their right mind, if they, if they know anything about this world in which we live, they know anything about their own hearts and their own condition, would be able to say that. What Paul described there, that is what I need and what I desire. So I'll just uh, tell you, that's our starting point for today's passage. And, and so as you hear Paul's concern over this people, keep in mind, that's the picture that he's working from as he puzzles over them. Again, Galatians chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 8. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I, I, I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. You know, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Please join me in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you for the ways that you work. We thank you, Lord, that we can, we can see and we can hear in this apostle, in this sent one, Paul, we can hear his concern for this people, for their waywardness. And we thank You that reflected there, Lord, is Your concern for us. It is Your call for us. And so we pray this morning that You would help us, Lord, to hear that call. Uh, and help us to look at our own hearts. Help us to recognize, Lord, that which we can't recognize on our own, but You, by Your Word and by Your Spirit, can open our eyes to see our, our condition, the, the place in which we are today. And as You place calls upon us to varying degrees depending on where we are. We pray that we would see, that we would understand, and that we would come in a greater and greater way to that glorious place of walking together with Christ. 
in the family of God. Uh, we pray for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Sin can often cause us to respond and to behave in ways that defy explanation in a way. I want you to imagine uh, a, a man who has worked hard much of his life. Maybe here in, in Murphy, he, he's worked many, many years and he's saved and he's skimped until he was finally able to purchase what he desired, what his heart desired, and that was a, a car, a nice car, uh, a car that he had had his eyes set upon for a long time. Now, uh, we can, or you can, fill in the blank on what that car is because it is an imaginary situation. And so if, if, if you really uh, have been thinking about and like uh, some modern-day electric cars and you can put a Tesla in there, uh, or if you like... Porsches, you can put a Porsche in there. If it's an older car that's been restored, you can put a perfectly restored 69 Mustang Boss in there, whatever uh, car you want. Uh, but whatever it is, this man purchased it at a great price, and it's a beautiful car, and he takes care of it. And imagine that he shines it regularly. He, he doesn't drive it out where it, it uh, is going to face inclement weather, but he keeps it covered and then imagine that one day he goes and, and drives it to the other side of Robbinsville and he takes it on the tail of the dragon and he drives at crazy speeds and he goes flying around the corners until finally he hits one corner and loses control of the car, flips it upside down and destroys the car. It's an imaginary situation. But I think it is a pretty accurate picture of what sin does to us. It often causes us to act irrationally and to do things that don't make sense. That don't make sense when we consider who we are now and what we have now. Now, maybe you've seen that in your own life. Uh, maybe you've seen at some point God at work in your life, you've, you've heard about Christ, you've turned to Christ and, and, and followed Him, and you've seen that your mind and your heart were drawn more and more to the Lord, and that He began to work in, in your life, and He began to deal with certain areas of your sin, and as a result, you've lived with that sense of peace and, and, and comfort uh, in your life. Maybe God has brought structure into your life in an area where there was only chaos before. And you know, when you're looking to Christ and you're following Christ, there's this sense of, of belonging and a sense that you're in, in the right place. Anxiety no longer completely controls uh, the way you respond to the rest of the world. And you know true rest. But then... Just like that. You go and you make a wreck of it. And it may be uh, because anger is your area that you struggle with. And, and so it, it, it comes between you and other people in your life. Or it could be sexual sin that has wrecked 
marriages and, and families, uh, or it could be pride that, that comes as a barrier between you and other people who might be close to you otherwise. You name it. Name the specific sin, but there are many ways in, in which people might shake their heads in puzzlement and say, that doesn't make sense. Why would he, why would she do that? Well, that's what we're seeing in this passage uh, with Paul and with the Galatians. And, and he, he says to them at one point uh, early in the passage, uh, he says, how can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. That's a phrase that we had talked about last week and, and said there are different thoughts about it, but, but essentially it seems to come down to talking about the law, depending upon the law. And, and a little further he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. It's almost like they are under the, uh, the, the Jewish law. They put themselves back under it. That's what they're upholding as important. That's how they're defining their relationship with the Lord. And, and so, so Paul says, I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain, that all the effort that I put into you, my care and my love for you, in vain. And then right there at the end of the, uh, of the passage, he says, I am perplexed about you. Uh, in other words, I, I can't understand why you would do what you're doing. You would continue in this way, knowing who you are. Now, you've got to realize, it's not that Paul doesn't understand sin and the way it works and uh, what it can cause us to do, that it makes us act in irrational ways. Now, but Paul wants this to register with them and with us. He wants them to recognize what they're doing, that they're being driven by utter blindness, that it doesn't make sense. And then he wants to call them back from it. And that's, that's really at the heart of this passage. It's Paul calling them back. And the sin that he's calling them back from is that they are no longer looking to Christ. They're no longer depending upon Christ day in, day out. But they're going back. And they're depending upon the law and their accomplishment of it. And this is given to us here, as it is all the way through the book of Galatians, because, as I've mentioned before, this, this has to be one of the greatest temptations that we face to look to the law instead of to the gospel. It's in the world around us. It is our culture and we're drawn to it again and again and again to place that as our ground for hope. And what Paul lays out here are reasons that you must not do that. He wants us to, to understand uh, what that looks like and what the dangers are and, and, and literally what we're doing when we decide to follow the law instead of depending day in and day out upon Christ. And so his message is turn back from depending upon the law. And here are three reasons that he gives for that. First of all, you'll know the freedom of God's grace. You'll find that in verses 8 to 11. You'll know the freedom of God's grace. Secondly, 
you'll know the ministry or, or really enjoy the ministry of God's Word. Verses 12 to 16. You'll enjoy the ministry of God's Word. And then finally, you'll be transformed into the life of God's Son. Verses 17 through 20. So first, you'll know the freedom of God's grace. Paul is saying here that when you're not measuring yourself by the standard of the law, where, where that is the expectation that you continually have to, to meet, uh, you're not measuring how well you do against that law, but instead you're looking to Christ, you're looking to the gift that He has given you, he says, then you will know freedom. Now there's a comparison here that uh, Paul is making. All the way through chapter 4, he continues it here, and it's a very effective uh, comparison. Uh, he compares darkness in the lives of, of the Galatians in their former lives to the brightness of knowing Christ. Now notice first the darkness, verse 8. It says, formerly, this is in the past, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Now, his emphasis there is, you did not know God. Now, Paul is saying this because we can recognize, we can read that, and recognize, that's a terrible spot in which to be. You know, Jesus in his, his high priestly prayer, it's called, in John chapter 17, uh, in, in verse 3, he says... This he's, he's praying for the disciples, and he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you. To not know God is the opposite of this. What's the opposite of eternal life? It's, it's the condition that these Galatians were in. Uh, it's having the expectation of eternal death. It's hopelessness. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks, uh, verse 10 and, I'm sorry, verse 11 and following. Ephesians 2 speaks about this condition. It says that they were having no hope and without God in the world. You know, what a place in which to be. And the worst of it is that they were kept there. Uh, Paul says back in our passage that they were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. They were kept there. They were, they were enslaved. They couldn't see a way out. That's their former condition. Now, Paul is referring there to, uh, pretty clearly, to idol worship. These were, the Galatians were primarily Gentiles. And before he, before Paul had come to them, they were uh, doing what the rest did in that Greek culture. It permeated the culture. Uh, and what they worshipped were not gods at all. They were lifeless idols. But what these idols brought with them was a form of spiritual bondage. You know, by outward acts, they were expected to show how devout they were by offering food to the idols, by offering uh, incense to the idols, by attending festivals, by serving at the, the, the temple, employing themselves there. And all of this, Paul is saying, was darkness. No knowledge of the true God. You know, we've got the same today. 
Our idols are different today, but for those who do not know God, it's, it's the same. Uh, we still have that which the idols there which stand between us and God, and the end result is the same. It's darkness and it is bondage. And so it's against this darkness that Paul says, and this is verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? You know, he's reminding them that when they were in the midst of this deep darkness and bondage, that's when he came to them. And he came to them with a gospel of grace. And he told them who they were, that they were helpless sinners, that they were unable to justify themselves before the one true God. And then he went on to tell them the good news, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that their eyes would be opened and they would have true freedom in Christ. This is the Lord Jesus who had sacrificed Himself for them to redeem them from all lawlessness so that through faith in Him they could truly be justified and set right by His grace as a gift. And it was by this, by the preaching of God's grace, that they had become Christians. In other words, they had come not just to know God, uh, Christians aren't just those who know about God, but Christians are those who are known by God first. We can't know God until we're known by Him. He's speaking about relationship. They were those who had been received and, and, and loved and known by God. Can you see the great contrast there that, that Paul's drawing between darkness and light? No knowledge of God and God knowing them. It's kind of like the experience, I think, that many men have when they go to purchase a wedding ring. And they go into the, the jewelry store and they, they point to a ring because it's down on one side and it's something they believe that they can afford. And so they say, can I see that ring? And the, the clerk, sales clerk takes it out, puts it on the counter, and... They pick up the ring and look at it in their hands and it looks like a, a nice diamond ring. And then the sales clerk says, one moment, I've got a ring here that I'd like for you to look at first. And she goes and, and gets a ring and, and takes this ring and places it on the dark black velvet background. And as the man moves toward that ring, he can see the light shining from it. And he's amazed at how much light that comes off of the ring. And he sees it sparkling and sees with such great clarity what a beautiful ring it is. Now, what's the difference between these two rings? Now, no doubt the second ring probably went for a higher dollar figure. But at the same time, the second ring itself was beautiful. What, what allowed that beauty to be brought out with such great clarity? It was because it was placed against that dark, black, deep background. 
that the light shines forth. Listen here to the force of Paul's argument and apply it to yourself. You've come from darkness to light. You've you've come to a point at which you're known by God. You're in relationship with Him. You're no longer without hope. You're no longer headed toward death. But you've got a new standing now. You've got a new way of thinking. Literally, you've got a new life. You've come to know what it's like to have the burden of sin and guilt and anxiety and worry removed, taken off of you. So that now, and the reason is now you're you're no longer needing to measure yourself against that measuring stick of, of how well you're performing in this world. It's no longer, I've done these things, and therefore I can feel good about myself. I've lived up to the expectations. That's living under the law. But now the yoke is taken off, it's removed. Grace has set you free. The measuring stick that's now provided for you is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has done it all. And so as you look to Him, you recognize all that's been given to you and you begin, therefore, out of a love for Him to live your life recognizing the gift of grace that is yours. And it brings a joy into your life day after day as you live your life. Now, Paul wants the Galatians and he wants us to see that great difference between living under the law and living for Christ and out of the grace that he's been, that he has given to us. Now, Paul also wants us to be in a place in which we're able to enjoy the ministry of God's Word. Paul is calling out something else here that, that you, you need to look for in your life, something else that, that characterizes all Christians, and that is you should have a love for the ministry of God's Word. That should be something that you, you seek out. That's what Paul points out about the Galatians. Uh, you know, back when he first came to them, and he first began to preach the gospel to them. Uh, he, he, he speaks here about their having experienced blessedness. Uh, down in, in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? He, he's saying you, you used to be in a place in which uh, you had this blessedness. That's another word for uh, happiness or, or joy. Uh, they heard the preaching of the gospel with joyful hearts. And their attitude toward Paul at that time, Paul was the messenger. He delivered the gospel to them. Their attitude toward toward him, look at verse 14, uh, was as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that they worshipped Paul, but it means that they received the word that he brought to them as the word of Christ. Paul even goes on to speak about a physical ailment, a bodily ailment that he had when he was amongst them. And he says it, was, it served as a, a trial amongst them, a difficulty. Now, it's not clear what his illness might have been. It could have been something that was communicable. Uh, not COVID, but in that, in that day, maybe malaria or 
or maybe leprosy, or it could have been something that just caused him to have a, an outward appearance that was not at all pleasant and which would have been looked upon in that day with, with disgust. But his point here is that no matter, or despite the difficulty, they didn't despise him, they didn't reject him as evidently might have been expected, but instead they embraced him. And they were willing even to sacrifice themselves for him. Look at verse 15. He says, if I can find it here, uh, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Uh, he, he, he's saying that these Galatians had such a love for him that they were willing to sacrifice of themselves for him. You know, it seems that they recognized him as an apostle of Christ and a messenger of God's Word. And so, it wasn't just him that they embraced, but it was the message that he brought. You know, when you're responding to Christ by faith, and when you're uh, looking to him day after day, then his Word becomes more and more valuable to you. you know, in Psalm 19.10, David says this, he says, More to be desired than gold, even more, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. This, this is God's commandments, God's Word. Uh, and then in, in Psalm 119, there's that uh, familiar passage, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. From the Lord Jesus, uh, here's uh, an application out of John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you remain in my word, if you see it as important and spend time in it and live your life seeking after his word, you know, when we are in a, a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a joy that flows out of that relationship and it results in a love for the ministry of His Word. You know, Paul contrasts that love that the Galatians had when he had first come to them with a change that he had witnessed in them. Uh, and he says, as we read before in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness. You know, they've moved from a place of a, a, a dependence upon Christ to a dependence upon the law. Legalism leads to dryness. And by definition, legalism is always taking a step away from a relationship with God, away from knowing God and being known by God. And so you can expect there to be a loss of joy in that relationship. And that's what we see here. Uh, Paul says a little bit further down, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, they, they went from a place of wanting God's Word to then only wanting to hear certain things from it. If it wasn't among what they wanted to hear, they didn't want to hear it. You know, that can be a sign of legalism. Certainly one message that they would have rejected. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. You know, one way to, to test our own hearts is to ask the question, 
if I am a child of God, do I love to hear from His Word? Do I desire to sit at His feet and hear from His Word? Do I have a love for His Word, a, a love that, that causes me to take time and to open up on my own and to read through it, or together, together with other people, and to hear it, to read it, to study it, to be in the Word of God. Why? Not because it's just good for me, like medicine, and I just need it. No, but because I love it. I love Him, and therefore I love His Word. That's a, that's a test for our own hearts. Are we in a place in which it's the gospel which is central in our lives? Or are we in a place in which it's law that is central? So the freedom of God's grace, the ministry of God's Word, and, and finally what Paul wants for these people and wants for us is to be transformed into the life of God's Son. You know, when the gospel is at work in our hearts and we're looking to Christ daily in our lives, not only will there be a love for God's Word, but the Lord will be using that Word by His Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us on the inside, so that we, we begin to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that point here, like a, a good shepherd, as he expresses what he is longing for them to become. So if you look down at verse 19, he talks about, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until, until there's something that He's looking to happen within them, until Christ is formed in you. That's Paul's desire for them. And it's what will happen inside of us when the gospel is truly at work within us. But Paul's opponents, these legalists, they also want to influence these people. Look, look with me at verse 17. Paul says, They, it's the Judaizers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. Then he goes on to just clarify. It's, it's always good to be uh, made much of for a good purpose. Uh, it, it's good to encourage others in the faith but that's not what the Judaizers are doing. They are looking for something different. Notice what they're doing, he's saying. They are feeding your ego. It's flattery. Paul is saying, in essence, beware. Because when you're standing upon the law, you're looking to the law, to uh, your performance, that always stokes pride. You may compliment others, on their adherence to the law. But ultimately, what you're looking for is for self. It's there for a selfish reason. You don't really care about them, but you compliment in order that you may have a greater standing yourself. And that's what these uh, Judaizers were doing. And uh, not only that, but, but those who adhere to the law, he says, remember he said, they want to shut you out when we adhere to the law, it lends itself to forming exclusive clubs or cliques of people. Uh, they will keep in those who are, are, are operating according to the, the criteria that they set, 
And they will keep out others that don't meet their demands. It's something to watch out for. The Galatians were being told that they had, become, they had to become Jews in order to become Christians. They had to meet certain criteria, otherwise they would be shut out. You know, this has the opposite effect, interestingly, upon the community of God from the effect that the gospel has. It divided Jews during this time, Jews and Gentiles, into two different groups. There were some who were on the inside and others who were on the outside. You know, in contrast, do you remember what we read earlier? End of chapter 3, uh, where, where Paul spoke about what the church is like when the gospel is at work, when, when we are, are coming to, to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And he said this, chapter 3, verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he said, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. This is the community of faith that God has given in the church. All one in Christ Jesus. Well, how are those barriers broken down? They're broken down because we are looking to Christ. We are depending upon Christ. We no longer are looking to how we're performing, how others are acting. And so those barriers that were there before that set us apart are broken down and we're brought together. That is God's intent for the church. That is the gospel at work within the church. Now at the same time, We've got to recognize that this is a particular sin struggle for some. And to some extent for all, but especially for some. We each have our areas in which we struggle. Uh, for some, this struggle with legalistic tendencies will especially be theirs. And so, so the key is exactly what Paul is calling for here, to recognize those tendencies within yourself and to turn to Christ and to put them to death. Uh, what, was, what was Paul looking for? He says, until Christ is formed in you. That is the transformation, transforming work that God does within a person, that God does within a church as He tears down the walls. But what does it take? It takes looking to Christ, trusting in Him day after day, looking for that sin, allowing the law to call out that sin, placing it before Christ and saying, Lord, put this to death that I might come together with my brothers and sisters and be the church that you have called us to be. Uh, that's what we should desire until Christ is formed in you. That's what we're looking for. You know, what all of this is really driving us toward is finding our joy, finding our sustenance, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that doesn't happen overnight. We bear with one another. Uh, it's a process of dealing with our sin as the gospel continually works upon us day after day. Uh, back in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul had said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what we're looking for. I have been crucified with Christ. I, I no longer live, 
But it's now Christ who lives in me. That formation of Christ has taken place in me so that I am walking today as a child of God who's looking to Christ and trusting in Him. And as we, as a community of faith, more and more allow that and seek for that by God's Word and by His Spirit to do its work inside of us, more and more we will come to be that community that God calls us to be, the church. And we will represent that gift that He has given, the gift of grace to the world around us. Uh, a very attractive gift, too, that it will be. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we recognize uh, as we go through this passage that there is much here in Paul's words to the Galatians, much here that applies to us as well. And so we thank You, Lord, that that same formational work that Paul was looking for in them, it comes to us as well through the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that You would do that work inside of us, that You would open our eyes to be able to see, to understand our own condition, to understand where we have set ourselves back under the law, and help us to turn and to embrace Christ, to make the gospel center in everything that we do. And we pray that as we do that, that more and more uh, we will be the church of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.